0: So today, we're starting a new series called In the World, Not of It, and here we are, In the World, um, where we'll look at how we are supposed to relate to various aspects of of our society as Christians. So the title, In the World, Not of It, comes obviously from Jesus' high priestly prayer in uh, in John 17, I think where he prayed for his disciples. this is the only place, by the way, in the Bible, where we are specifically addressed. Jesus is praying for our protection, the protection of his future disciples from the hostility of the world. And he's praying specifically for us. So it's a pretty cool section of scripture. Thanks, Simon. And he says this. I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. So can you hear okay up the back there? Great. So this is one of the many passages throughout the Bible that has a very strong sense of us and them. So us, we are the followers of Jesus, and them are those that John calls the world. And I find it very easy to see this dichotomy, this division, and to become proud. That's why it's so important for me to remember that Jesus came to save me from my sins. My sins, not other people's sins, not the world and its hostility. In fact, Jesus is praying here that he's going to deliberately leave me in the world. To face this hostile sort of environment. So he's, he's not saving me from that. He's deliberately not saving me from that. No, as Christians, our focus should be on our own relationship with Jesus. Abiding in him, loving him, obeying him, knowing him. We're not called to fix other people's problems only to cooperate with the holy spirit in fixing our own as paul tells the church in philippi therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed so now not only as in my presence but much more in my absence work out with fear work out your own salvation with fear and trembling work out your own salvation <coughs> Now, of course, by fixing our own problems, we, God can then work through us to encourage others and to draw others to him. He can then proceed to transform them also into the likeness of his son, Jesus. And, and that sort of is supposed to cascade and we get a grassroots effect, which transforms the world, which is what happened. That's how Christianity transformed the Roman Empire not by Christians forming uh, lobby groups to the emperor and insisting that he implement Christian laws. We need to keep this in mind when we come to a topic like this, like how we deal with business and commerce. It's so easy for us as Christians to take the high moral ground and to, to start trying to force others to conform to our standards. Then when people discover that we can't even meet our own standards, that actually does great damage to Jesus' name. And that's what will happen. So let's pray before we continue. Lord, guide us through your word, the Bible, as we seek to understand how we can best relate to the world of business and commerce while still representing you, our Lord Jesus Christ. In your name. Amen. So how should we relate to business and commerce? When I was little, four years old, up to about seven, that's me on the right, my mum and dad and my sister and my brother in the middle. My little sister wasn't born at this stage. We lived south of Toowoomba um, on my great-uncle Bill's farm. Because my dad was on a scholarship to study teaching and my mum was a full-time mum, we didn't have a lot of money. We lived in a tiny cottage, which you can see behind us there, I think, with an outdoor toilet, which just had a can in it, which Dad had to bury whenever it got full. No hot water system, so... Nicole and Graham, you can appreciate your septic. It's much better than a can that you have to empty out into some hole somewhere <laughs> that you have to dig. No hot water system. So when we had a bath we had to heat a kettle and pour it into the bath. And a wood stove. So we didn't even have an electric stove. So I had to cut up kindling for the to start the stove as a as a five year old. So give axes to your five-year-olds. It's a good idea, people. <laughs> yeah, it was quite a small axe, yeah. but still big enough to take your finger off if you're not careful. But I didn't take my finger off, so it's all okay. <laughs> yeah, that's why you see kids on farms or farmers often missing a finger. It gets caught in farming equipment or it gets cut off or something. You've still got all of yours though, right, Chris? you've still got all your fingers, there you go, <laughs> haven't been on a farm long enough. Um, so I had, of course, given that sort of lifestyle, I had few toys and most of my interactions with the world were with either nature, like climbing trees or playing in a sandpit, or the built environment of the farm, like climbing on sheds or over fences or even on ancient rusting tractors. They were so old, they had those spiky metal wheels. So, before the century, before last century, so 19th century stuff. I didn't have much of a relationship with the outside world, certainly not with commerce and business. Like most in my generation, I had time to grow into my relationship with business and commerce so that I could, you know, approach it as a more mature person. But our kids, our kids don't have that luxury. They have iPads dumped into their hands at a young age. Look at my daughter there. She's got a phone in her hands right now, which she's displaying for everyone to see. She's using a colouring app. These miraculous devices are, are made by one of the largest iPads, are made by one of the largest and most disciplined corporations in the world, Apple. Apple you already knew that apple even has their own media empire so your kids can be influenced in so many different ways isn't that enticing but apple's not alone amazon facebook google microsoft disney they're all omnipresent in our lives in our children's lives from an early age is this okay is even the concept of making profits like these companies do, like these companies exist to do, is even that okay? Not all Christians would agree, but what does the Bible say? Now, of course, ancient Jews and first century Christians did not have to deal with big businesses. Their societies did not support such things. They didn't have the infrastructure or the the concepts or the technology to support an Apple or a uh, a Microsoft. So instead of specific advice in the Bible, we have to look for principles that apply to this topic. That's pretty common. So, look for things like the concept of private property. If the Bible doesn't encourage private property, then we should probably be advocating for a strongly socialist or perhaps even communist sort of society, right? Not for big business. Now, interestingly, the Bible doesn't merely advocate private property, it considers it so obvious that it simply assumes it. If we have a look at the eighth commandment, for example, which is a pretty important bit of the Bible, you must not steal. That commandment makes zero sense if there's no private property. In a truly communist society, that commandment is meaningless. In fact, it's it's immoral. But in a biblical society, or in a biblical concept of society, private property is a good, a moral good. And so taking from somebody's private property without their permission is a moral evil, big enough that it fits into the Ten Commandments. Furthermore, it's clear that Jesus considers profit-making business a respectable activity. In the parable of the talents found in Matthew 25 and its close relative the parable of the minas in Luke 19, which doesn't very often get read, Jesus compares his disciples' fruitful discipling activity to the process of running a business and making profits. In Luke it actually says, go and invest those minas in business, go and do business. And then the servants get scolded. The ones who don't go and do business and make profits get scolded. There's no hint that Jesus has any concerns with people making profits. The rest of the Bible's consistent with this. The biblical view is that there's nothing inherently wrong with profit making business. There is a problem, but it lies elsewhere. Jesus doesn't mince words when he warns us in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So any treasure here on earth, whether it be prestige, reputation, children, money, possessions, hobbies, legacies, or whatever, anything that we treasure will steal our heart away from where it belongs with God. The problem then is not with us possessing money. The problem is when money possesses us. And Jesus says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Now, I had a very strange experience when I co-founded my first company. Three of us started this company in Silicon Valley. A fourth guy joined us just as we got going. The other three guys were all non Christians. And so I wrestled, I just, it was such a struggle wrestling with Paul's advice to the Corinthians. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? And that was so difficult for me. I ended up saying, look, I can work for the company but I can't be a an owner with you because of what the Bible's telling me. No offence no offence uh, you, you're just wicked. <laughs> they they didn't take offence fortunately although looking back it's quite surprising that they didn't. Maybe they knew I was a bit weird. It's It seemed like a big sacrifice to make over such a small issue. I, I even called my dad from America to talk about it and and I was, I was just so torn about this. It really, I really struggled with it. As it happens, in California, you don't have to file ownership details for a startup until after 12 months. When we came to talk about that situation 12 months later, a lot had changed. The company now had a set direction and it actually had management, which wasn't me. And I was comfortable with the direction and with the management that we had. I was comfortable working in a company like that. So when I accepted the, the, you know, my share of the company, I was basically investing in the company rather than being, joining a team of bosses. So I wasn't teaming myself with unbelievers. I wasn't teaming up with unbelievers. Sounds subtle, but it it really was quite a different situation. I think the difference between being on a team and merely being an investor or even a customer is an important distinction in Scripture. Being on a team requires a unity of purpose. And how can righteousness and wickedness share a unity of purpose? Now that might sound harsh, but consider for a moment a company like Apple. You know, think about their morality. Apple makes great products. Now, sure, I don't like the way they lock you into their ecosystem, but for many people, that's actually a benefit. It's actually a benefit because it adds reliability, right? Apple stuff works with Apple stuff, and it actually works. That's a benefit. Because Apple makes great products, I probably wouldn't even mind working for them as an employee. But... If you were to invest more of your soul into Apple, say you became a C-level executive, like a CTO or a COO or a CEO, not going to happen to any of us probably, more likely, (laughs) more likely, say you defined defined your identity around Apple products, like, you know, you're an Apple person and everything's got to be Apple or you spend... You know, half your day watching Apple TV or, or whatever. People do do this. This is actually, this happens. Um, are Apple's values compatible with Christ? Now, Apple actually talks a good talk. If you go to their website and look at their values and stuff, they talk a good talk. But it's, it's taken substantial activist energy to force Apple to clean up their supply chain. For years, they exploited Chinese and and even lower paid labor. And even now, they still take advantage of the vast disparity in living standards to reap a massive profit on every device. Apple makes something like 30% on every single device they sell, rather than sharing with their suppliers. This is directly in conflict with the biblical mandate to care for the poor. In Amos, the prophet Amos says, this is what the Lord says. The people of Israel have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. They sell honorable people for silver and poor people for a pair of sandals. They trample helpless people in the dust and shove the oppressed out of the way. Both father and son sleep with the same woman, corrupting my holy name. At their religious festivals, they lounge in clothing their debtors put up as security. In the house of their gods, they drink wine bought with unjust fines. Apple's tax structure is also designed to enrich Apple's owners at the expense of the people in the nations where Apple is taking advantage of their infrastructure to sell expensive products, like Australia. Apple is also a pioneer in planned obsolescence, a feature of modern electronics that ensures that customers have to buy a new device regularly as their old device becomes unstable or unusable. Apple's lockdown ecosystem actually allows them to exploit this goldmine of repeat customers, and they do exploit it. None of these things are compatible with biblical ethics. And I've hardly scratched the surface of Apple's greedy and exploitative pro, um, practices. There are heaps more. Despite all this, I don't think I'd count Apple as a particularly evil megacorporation. As far as megacorporations go, they're sort of, you know, run of the mill. Sorry. Let's not even talk about companies like Facebook who conceal their own research. Whoops. Sorry. Oh, that's the, that's the last part of the, of, the host, of the Amos quote. So let's not even talk about companies like Facebook, right? Apple's sort of moderately evil. Facebook conceal their own research revealing how their product harms children. So, you know. Now, we may not join the team of, of one of these companies. We're just too small and irrelevant to them as individuals, even as, a, even as a church. But we can give a company a dangerous place in our lives by spending so much time and energy on their products that they effectively become our treasures here on earth. Social media, which is carefully designed to capture and keep our attention for as long as possible, is a distressing example. Social media, for example, invented the infinite scroll. You know, when you're when you're doing Facebook or Instagram and you're scrolling through all the updates and it never stops? That's so that you never stop. They want you on Facebook or Instagram or whatever forever you should not stop to eat that's a bad thing <laughs> video apps like YouTube or TikTok are just as bad think about how much time you've spent scrolling through social media or clicking through clips over and over again over the last over the last week or so and compare that compare that to time spent meditating on the bible I have to confess that it's not a very good ratio. <laughs> it's distressing, isn't it? It's just, they're designed to capture us. The Bible isn't. The Bible's truth. It's not, it's not like the sweet lies of Satan or the sweet user interface of social media. Now, for us as a church, it's different again. When we use a company, we're, in a way, lending our name to it, much as a famous athlete does to a sponsor, except, of course, we're not famous. We do need to think carefully about what companies we support with our business, because people will associate our name, and therefore Jesus' name, with that business. Now, we must recognize, we must recognize that we are in the world as a church and as individuals. And that this is a sinful world. And we're supposed to be in it for the benefit of the world. Not for our benefit, but for the world's benefit. That means that we can't withdraw to subsistence farming. Now some Christians, such as the Amish, would argue otherwise. But the Bible clearly supports engagement with the world in all its sinfulness. We can't retreat. Therefore, we have to draw the line in. In I think two cases: when we are in danger. Is it updating? Where's the clicker? Can you just cl- can you just click that through now? When we are in danger of storing our treasures in the world that is becoming enslaved by something and when we're in danger of associating Jesus' name with something completely opposed to him so how do we work this out in practice <clears throat> first we need to understand biblical ethics right it's impossible to tell if a company is violating biblical ethics if we don't know our Bible. Now, we did do a practical ethics class in 2020 in our Tuesday night Bible study. So if you want a refresher, uh, talk to me afterwards. We've still got the materials. We can share them. Um, <clears throat> But there are lots of resources on this topic, and my brief case study of Apple a moment ago is an example of how you apply biblical ethics to a company. I'll just. Sorry. Oops, this is not working. So. Slide Yeah, I just need to find the place. Where is the clicker? Where did? Rachel where did Rachel put the clicker oh yeah so I can control it with this just need to find where I'm up to this is this is the beauty of technology I love it so much no that's why it's not working but I'm not locked into it see that's the beauty Okay, yeah, it's an infinite scroll. (laughs) So Apple was an example. Let's do another case study. Woolworths. Let's say you shop at Woolies. This is a hypothetical. If Woolworths used slave labor to make some of its products, and just to be sure, as far as I'm aware, Woolworths does not use slave labor to make any of its products, but if it did, it would probably be appropriate to shop elsewhere, right? You don't really want to support a company that, that enslaves people to, to give you nice cheap cheese or whatever. But what if every supermarket or grocer used slave labour? In that case, it doesn't really matter where you shop because the sin's equally spread around, right? But if every supermarket or grocer used slave labour, it would be worth thinking about whether you should work in that sector. Of business right because you don't want to support slave labor in your employment in your job so you're not complicit in their evil but again what if every business used slave labor then you don't have a choice so you have to work in a company that uses slave labor and that's actually where the early church found themselves so you see the problem you can Avoid where you can avoid associating with something opposed to the Bible, you should do that. And where you can't, there's no guilt imputed to you. So you're not guilty if you can't avoid that association. The early church, as I said, coexisted with slavery. But wherever it had the chance to change that, did change it and it did away with slavery and eventually slavery was removed from at least the western world through the efforts of Christians, took a long time so I talked about slavery because that's an obvious evil There's lots of different things that we need to ask these questions about for ourselves. Does this company, is this company doing something wrong that I believe I shouldn't support? And do I have an alternative that doesn't do that? If so, I should do the alternative, take the alternative. Above all, however, avoid being captured by the sinfulness of the world Remember how I started? Our priority is to keep our eyes on Jesus, to love and obey him. When our interactions with a business interferes with our ability to love and obey Jesus in any way, the choice is simple. We choose Jesus. Now, this is a complex topic and I've... I've, Barely scratched the surface, so I've got an extra two hours of notes here. Is that okay? Just joking. <laughs> I hope the Holy Spirit has has used at least this this brief introduction to give you some direction. So let's pray. Lord, we live in a complex world, and it's riven by sin, and yet you've not, you haven't rescued us from it. Instead you've you've rescued us from our own captivity to sin and you've set us free from what enslaves the world so that we can be shining lights to the world, showing them the way home. Help us to be clear, bright lights. Keep us from being captured by the sin of the world, particularly as represented by business and commerce, and, and keep us humble so that we can draw others to your Son, our Lord Jesus. In his name. Amen.